So today we are starting a new series under the theme for the year, All In. So this, under this theme, Hold Nothing Back, we will be uh, looking at people who not only received from the Lord, but, but also gave back to the Lord and held nothing back in their relationship with the Lord. So this morning I'm going to be uh, talking about what it means to hold nothing back. I'm going to give you a general framework within which we could see uh, this uh, segment and then talk about the inspirational story of women in the New Testament who actually lived this life and finally give you one important key that will help us to live a life in which we, we don't hold back anything in our relationship with the Lord. Shall we pray? Abba Father, we are, we are gathered in your name today to learn and to hear from you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come and wash over us, let your word wash over us, open our hearts and minds that we may hear your word and give us the grace and the strength to be not only hearers but also doers of your word. Give us the grace, Lord, to live out fully for your glory in the coming days. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let me start by uh, sharing with you a testimony that happened uh, in my life and which I believe is highly relevant to this topic of uh, hold nothing back. This happened some 12 or 13 years ago when I was a high school student. Uh, A certain man of God was coming from abroad to hold a conference in in, in Addis Ababa, where I'm from, and I wanted to go and attend this, this conference. It was uh, going to take place at a, at a place which was far away from my house, so I had to catch a taxi to, to get to the conference. So how I would get there is I have to walk for about 20 minutes to the place where I would get a taxi, and then get a taxi to get to the place, and when I return, I, I do the same. So that day, I have, I have only four burr in my pocket. I have a picture of the, the, the money, so this is the Ethiopian one, uh, one dollar. So we call it bir, as in B-I-R-R. So I had four bir in my pocket that day. Uh, and at the time, that was enough to, to get me to the conference and back. So I paid two bir to get to the conference. And then I had two bir left in my pocket, which I'll be using to get back home. The conference was going to end around 8, 8.30 at night. So if you ask me what was preached that day in that conference, I don't remember. If you ask me uh, what song we sang that, that conference that day, I have no clue. But I have a vivid memory of an encounter with the Lord during that conference. And of all the times that God could have used to touch my heart that night, he chose to do it during the offering time, during the giving time. So offerings are collected towards the end of the service. So here comes one of the pastors who was going to uh, lead us in prayer to give. So he opened his Bible from Genesis chapter 8, and he powerfully talked about how Noah uh, got favor in the sight of God because of the sacrifice that he made. And that word just 
pounded my heart. It, it just touched my heart. And without any thinking or hesitation, I just reached out to my pocket, grabbed those two, two birds, not worrying about how I'm, I'm going to get home. And I just gave that offering with all the joy in my heart because that word just touched my heart. Now, did the Lord arrange for someone to give me money to, or to give me a ride back home that night? No, he didn't. So in the end, I just had to walk back home. It was night, and I had to walk, I think, for about an hour and a half to get home. But something interesting happened on my way home, which I don't plan to tell you right now. I'm going to do that towards the end of the service. So over the last uh, month, we were learning about encounters that people have had with the Lord Jesus and how those encounters really affected their lives. Some of them received their healings. Some of them got salvation out of that encounter with the Lord Jesus. Others were healed and, and they, they were freed from demonic oppressions. Others were rescued from destruction and from, from death. A case in point being that woman who was uh, accused of committing adultery and Jesus rescued her, and they, they, they received the forgiveness of their sins as well. But whenever Jesus comes into a person's life, in our, in our, into our life, there is always a greater purpose than the things we, received, we receive from the Lord. The gospel of Jesus Christ, at the very heart of it, is an invitation to a fellowship with God the Father. And therefore, it is within the framework of this relationship and fellowship that we talk about a life that is all in. The Apostle John declares this purpose in 1 John chapter 1, from verse 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. John the Apostle here is talking about Jesus Christ, whom he describes as the word of life. And he tells us that he was from the beginning and that he was with the Father and that this word of life was manifested. It became flesh and we have had the chance to see it. We have had the chance to hear it. We have, had the cha- we have had the chance to touch it. So get ready to hear. John is telling us to get ready to hear a first eyewitness account of what happened to them. And in verse 3 he tells us, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you. Why? That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you so that your joy may be full. Notice what what John says in in verse 4 here. After inviting us into that fellowship with God the Father and with Christ, he tells us that we need this fellowship so that our joy may be complete. It is impossible to have a complete joy apart from a relationship with Christ. I remember hearing Bishop T.D. Jakes from Dallas, Texas, preaching on this topic and saying that when you have placed your joy upon the Lord, you have placed it at a point that the enemy cannot reach. 
If your joy is upon, upon the things that you have, if your joy is upon your car, then the, the devil could give you a flat tire and your joy goes with it. If, you, if your joy is in, on, on your work, then you could get laid off and your joy goes with it. But when you place your joy upon the Lord, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, far above principalities and powers, then you have placed your joy where the devil cannot reach it, and your joy continuously flows to you. Hallelujah. Therefore, an all-in life is a life that is committed to this fellowship with the living God. But on the other hand, a life of holding nothing back is a test of how far we are committed to that fellowship. How deep are our roots in Christ? And as is true of all fellowships, you have to be willing to be, into, to, be into, to be in the relationship with God. And once we are in, then we have to learn to live a life that accords to the values and cultures of the kingdom of God. Let me tell you three important points regarding this fellowship. First one is acceptance. This fellowship is freely given it's freely offered by God to everyone, and no one will ever be forced into this relationship. But anyone who is willing to come and to accept this offer can enter into a fellowship with Christ. And when you think about it, no true relationship, no true fellowship can really exist without both the parties being willing. God speaks to Israel through the prophet Amos, and in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, the prophet says, can the two walk together unless they be agreed? If you remember, in my last sermon, I dealt with the, the great wedding parable in which this great king uh, arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call into the wedding anyone who is willing to come. Some responded to this invitation favorably, while others rejected the invitation. And in terms of our Christian life, it is important to note that Jesus Christ is the formal invitation later from heaven for us so that we could have that relationship with God the Father. Therefore, a life of not holding anything back begins with surrendering our life before anything else. Second one is allegiance. Once you have accepted that relationship, that fellowship, that invitation into a fellowship with God, then you become alleged, you, be, you pledge allegiance to work with God. We know that we live in a world where there are the, the opposing forces of darkness and light, where there are the opposing forces of uh, light and darkness. The scriptures are clear regarding the existence of evil in the world. And in First John chapter 5, verse 19, we read, we know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We also read in Colossians chapter 1 from verse 13 to 14 that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Therefore, in choosing to follow Christ, you have made a choice to be on the side of life, and your allegiance thereafterwards is to God and not the world. 
And lastly, the third thing, after you have accepted that fellowship and pledged your allegiance to the kingdom of God, you become an acquaintance, you become an associate, you become a co-worker in the kingdom of God. Your acceptance and allegiance results in your acquaintance. The Christian life is a fellowship with God in which both parties play a role in maintaining that relationship. And both parties have their own responsibilities. Paul states in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. Jesus once told his disciples that the harvest is plenty, but the workers, but the laborers are few. And therefore he instructed them to pray to the Father that he may send more laborers. You and I are not just spectators in the kingdom of God. We are also co-workers together with God. Look at the lead scripture today for this morning from Luke chapter 8. This story depicts a life of an incredible group of women whose life was transformed by Jesus and who did not hold back, who did not hold anything back in their relationship with the Lord. And their life really serves as an example of the life that we need to live and and the maturity that we all need to undergo uh, in this Christian life. Luke chapter 8 from verse 1 to 3. Now it came to pass afterward that he, meaning Jesus, went through every, every city and village, preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. When you look at verse 1, it tells us about the mission that Jesus was undertaking. And as you can see, Jesus at this time, at this moment in his ministry, is going about his mission, traveling from one village to another, from one city to another, preaching the kingdom of God, preaching the glad tidings uh, of the kingdom of God. And he taught people, he healed them, he raised their deeds, he ministered deliverance to those who, who were oppressed, and he did so much more. But verse 1 tells us another thing. He tells us people who were with Jesus. In verse 1 and 2, we see those people who were accompanying Jesus in his mission travels. And when he traveled, of course, his 12 disciples were always with him. They accompanied him. Now, make no mistake that Jesus has or had, uh, he was just a human like us and he had needs. And he had needs in his earthly ministry, which really included financial needs. At the very least, Jesus was responsible for 12 group of men whom he asked to resign from their job and follow him. They were fishermen leading their own lives. He came into their lives and asked them to just throw their nets away and just follow him. So at the very least, Jesus is responsible to feed these 12 hungry men walking with him and working with him. And I don't think these 12 uh, were working part-time as such because why would you bother about working when you are 
on a mission with someone who the last time you went to a wedding with him, he changed the water into wine. So Jesus had to take care of them. He had to feed them. He had to pay their taxes. Remember once the, the, the uh, people came, the Pharisees, I think, came to Jesus and asked him to pay his taxes. And, and Peter tells, uh, Jesus tells Peter to go and uh, fish. And the first fish that he catches will have a coin inside his mouth and to go and pay uh, Peter's and Jesus' tax. So Jesus had to take care of them. And we also know that Judas was a keeper of the money bag. So there, there was a finance flowing throughout Jesus' ministry. But where was this money coming from? Going back to our scripture, Luke then goes on to identify some other people apart from the 12 who were accompanying Jesus. And these were women. And Luke seems to take interest in who these women were because he somehow gives us a little more detail about them, who they were, what happened to them. And what became of them? So who were these women? When we look at the lives of these women before they met Jesus, we are told that they had a challenging life. Some of them were under demonic possession. They were possessed with evil spirits. Others were sick and they were struggling with life. One of them was Joanna who was married to a guy working for King Herod, such an ungodly king who had John the Baptist executed just because his stepdaughter asked him to. And I believe one of, uh, uh, one of the struggles in her life was the issue of her husband working for such an ungodly king. And this must have been one of the troubles in her life. But what happened to these women was that in the process of time, there came a time of encounter with the Lord Jesus. Those tormenting spirits were cast out of them and their infirmities were healed and seven demons came out of Mary Magdalene and their freedom and restoration was Jesus' gift to them. But afterwards, they made a decision. After having this encounter, after receiving their healings from the Lord, after receiving their deliverance from the Lord, these women made a careful decision about how their life is going to continue. So finally, they made a decision. When they turn back and see their past life, the life that they had lived without Jesus, it was full of trouble and challenges. There is nothing appealing about it. It was just a cycle of trauma and pain. And they noticed that that cycle of pain and trauma was only interrupted by the divine intervention of God in their life. So they therefore made two important decisions. The first one was to follow Christ and to accompany him in his missions. They just wanted to be with him. They just wanted to go with him. And secondly, they quickly rose up to the challenge of becoming co-workers together with him. Not just spectators, not just followers, but they, they became co-workers together with him. And they started serving the Lord with their substance. They started financing Jesus. They started feeding the apostles. Taking responsibility in the kingdom. Meaning they were now making financial contributions to Jesus and taking care of his business. They did not hold back 
their substances, what they had in their, in their pockets from the Lord. Now contrast this group of women with the nine lepers that were healed in the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. There we read a story that Jesus was traveling to Jerusalem and as he passed through villages, as he was entering one village, there were ten lepers who were standing afar off because those lepers in, in those times were not allowed to get into the city. So they were standing afar off and they saw Jesus and ran to him and they asked him to have mercy on them. And Jesus, understanding what that means, tells them to go and show themselves to the priest. As they were walking towards the priest, all of them were healed. All of them were healed. But surprisingly, it was just only one of them who returned to the Lord to establish that relationship which he have stab- which he have started with the Lord. It was only one of them who saw that he was healed and then came back to say, thank you. And came back to say, I am healed, Lord. But nine of them, here is what Jesus said. Jesus saw this guy coming to him and said something uh, that, that hurt his heart. Because Jesus said, weren't there ten that were healed? I was expecting ten praises. I was expecting ten more returns. I was expecting that I would have ten more people to follow me. Ten more people who would really understand that the, the, the gift of healing that I gave to them was not the, the end. It was not the, the, the ultimate gift that I had for them. It was only one of them who returned and said thank you to the Lord. But the other nine received their healings. They never returned to the Lord. Mercy they asked and mercy they got. But to say thank you, nobody thought. But these women, this incredible group of women, fixed their gaze upon Jesus and not upon what they received from him. They placed the utmost importance, the utmost value upon the relationship with the very person of Christ and not on the blessing that they received from the Lord. How then do we live a life in which we don't really hold back anything in our relationship with the Creator? Let me share with you one important key that will help us to live this life. Know that God himself, the very person of God himself, is your exceeding great reward in life. What do I mean by that? Let's quickly take a look at the life of our father in faith, Abraham. When God came to Abraham, he was a 75-year-old man living at his father's house. He was married, but he had no children. His wife was barren. He represented everything that none of us want to be in. He represented a situation that none of us want to be in. Who wants to be at his parents' house at the age of 75? (laughs) No one? I thought so. But God came to Abraham under these desperate circumstances, and he tells him to go out of his father's house. And here is what God says to him in Genesis chapter 12 from verse 1 to 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, 
from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How wonderful is it to hear this voice at a desperate time of your life? How wonderful is, is it to learn that God promises to make you a great nation at the age of 75 when you don't even have a single child and your wife is barren? And how wonderful is it to learn that God promises to bless you at a time when you are living at your father's house? But guess what? In the process of time, God did everything that he promised Abraham. He did it all. He blessed Abraham with substance. He blessed him with silver and gold. And he gave him many possessions until the land they were in could not even support them. And he gave him a child later on, meaning 25 years later. And he made him great. God did everything that he promised Abraham that he would do to him. But in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, God says to Abraham something powerful, which I believe had an impact upon Abraham for the rest of his life. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 reads, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield your exceedingly great reward. Now, we often make mistake while reading this text, but if you read it carefully, it says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. And the I am not only works for the your shield part, but also your exceeding great reward part. So God, in effect, is telling Abraham here that I am your shield, and I am your great, exceedingly great reward. God tells Abraham here that he, the very person of God, was the greatest reward that God has for Abraham. In other words, the exceedingly great reward that God gave to Abraham was not the silver and the gold, or it was not the land, or it was not the the people that he gave him, or it was not the child that he was going to give him. The exceeding great reward that God gave to Abraham was himself. God was the precious, the exceeding great reward for Abraham. I believe this vision that Abraham saw really had an impact on him because when he was then called upon to sacrifice his son Isaac, that really helped him because Isaac was not the exceeding great reward that Abraham received from the Lord. It was his fellowship with God. It was the friendship of God with Abraham that was the exceeding great reward for his life. If God gives you a diamond and asks you to to give him one dollar, would you even bother about that? The diamond was God for Abraham. And Isaac was just a dollar. So it was Abraham's knowledge that God was his exceeding great reward that really gave him the courage to be willing 
to sacrifice, to be willing to sacrifice his son, which he has been waiting for 25 years. Therefore, the knowledge that God is your exceeding great reward, it puts things in perspective for you. When you know that, you will get the power to obey his words. You will find the power to, to give your offerings and tithes because God is your reward. You will find the power to forgive people because the God who says to do it is your exceeding great reward. You will find the power to use your time to maintain your relationship with Christ in prayer and worship because God is your ultimate exceeding reward. I'm going to ask the band to come here as we prepare to finish. So let me go back to the testimony. If you would bring that picture of the money back. So that night, as I told you, of all the times that the Lord could have used to touch my heart, he chose to do it during the offering. And that word really touched my heart. And I, I, I was obedient in giving the only money in my pocket, which I was expected to use to get back home, to get a taxi back home. So I obeyed and with full faith in my heart, gave that offering. So, and then I had to walk all by all way back home, which took me about an hour and a half to get home. But 20 minutes before I, uh, before I reached home, as I was walking on the street, and suddenly, on the ground, I found a one burr note on the street. I picked it up. It was, it was a bit darker, but there were, there were light poles on the road. I, I really admired myself I w- how I was able to see that money on the, on the, on the ground because it was a bit dark. And I, I picked it up and tried to look around in case someone had dropped it and there was nobody. But then immediately in my spirit, I sensed that that was an acknowledgement from heaven that God had received my offering that night. I never forget this encounter with the Lord. I was obedient to the voice of the Spirit that challenged me to give those two birds which I was supposed to use to get back home. But then that dollar, that bird I found on the, on the road, on the street, was a confirmation from heaven that God had received my offering that day. That like Noah, who made a sacrifice and got favor in the sight of God, I too obtained this favor in the sight of God that night because of my obedience. Hold nothing back in your relationship with the Lord. Everything that you do to the Lord is not a wasted thing, but an invested thing. Your finances, the tithes and the offerings that you give, they are not wasted money. The time that you give to the Lord, it's not a wasted time. Your effort in serving God, in following Christ, it's not a wasted effort. It's an invested one. It will pay you, and the Lord is faithful to do it. Hallelujah. Let's pray.